Zdravo, guys. What's up? Prishindetia. This is the Tales from the Road first podcast. The goal of these podcasts is going to be essentially to talk about travel, to talk about being a digital nomad abroad, to talk about all the things that many people might find interesting about the story from Tales from the Road, about you know what we're up to over here, about the goals of my videos, all the different things that kind of, you know, come with that. And the goal is also to, to explain these wild places that I find myself in, to try and explain the life that I'm currently living, to try and break down some of the things from the videos, to of course go into the chat, to interact with you guys, to discuss, to learn, to expose the amazing places that are around the world and of course, to provide interesting and cool content for you guys to consume. So it's my first go at live streaming, so <laughs> please be gentle. Um, we got a new setup here, we got the new webcam, we got the laptop going, trying to figure out how to not look at the camera and also or to look at the camera, not look at the, uh, not look at the laptop. So bear with me if I'm looking down a little bit, I gotta work out my setup. So today is called American in the Balkans. The story is that I've lived now in Albania for about a month, and I'm just finishing up my last weekend here in Skopje, Macedonia. I lived in Tirana for one month. I lived in Skopje for one month. So that's two full months for this American guy. I'm going to give you the kind of intro to my time in the Balkans, why I think it's so unique being here in the Balkans and kind of the challenges that I've had filming, living, kind of living here as a digital nomad and kind of the things that go in between. So, but first, any uh, with any story, you need like a good backstory. So the idea is that I'd share with you my first time in the Balkans, which was actually a really funny trip. And then I'm gonna kind of loop that into the current story where Tales from the Road is now, what we learned from living in Albania and Macedonia and um, some cool things, food history, all this different stuff. So let's get into it. So I came to the Balkans first in 2017. I was doing some marketing for a company that I had started. Uh, I was doing like this hostile work exchange service and I thought Eastern Europe was kind of like this cool new fringe place that not a lot of people were talking about. I think as an American, we don't often get to Kind of experience Eastern Europe, um, the Balkans especially. But um, when we think of Europe, like in the context of going to the, I mean, being from the U.S., we always think of Spain, we think of France, we think of Germany, and that's where I spent a lot of my original times when I went to Europe. Um, we just don't have that really cultural context with um, the Balkans, Eastern Europe, the uh, post-Soviet countries. It just doesn't come up nearly as much, uh, especially in curriculum. When we talk about Eastern Europe, it's always in the context of the Soviet Union and the Cold War. Um, and we oftentimes never talk about the Balkans. So it's kind of this blank spot on the map. So I flew to Estonia and the plan was to go south. I was heading south from Estonia to the end goal to be Macedonia, hitting all the hostels in between all of these countries, like boom, 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 boom. Um, the best part about my first Balkan trip was that uh, I was just going in with kind of like this fresh mind, but I also went with a friend. So my friend Jake, he flew in from the US, he met me in Croatia, and we just you know, kind of went down. Uh, we did uh, Croatia, Bosnia, 
um, Albania, Kosovo, um, finishing in Macedonia. And it was just a really unique trip. Uh, the Balkans was very weird initially for me because I had grown up, I have connections with Turkey, and I had grown up kind of with this Turkish experience. So it was interesting seeing this kind of place that was so influenced by Turkey and the Ottoman Empire in Europe. Uh, my first impression when I remember I was in Bosnia and Herzegovina was seeing uh, what looked like Austria, like the houses looked like Austria, the views looked very similar, but uh, you had mosques, you had Turkish kind of style food, you had the kind of Balkan music. It was something that was very mixed and very unique. Um, I immediately fell in love with the Balkans. It's such a unique place. There's Each country has its own unique history, its own unique vibe. The politics are insane down here. We're going to get into that for sure a bit later. But more importantly, it was just a place that I had just found strikingly interesting. Um, and it was a whole different Europe than the Europe that I had been to. I had lived in Germany, I had lived in France, I had lived in Belgium. But this was something completely different. And uh, coming with a friend, you know, like kind of like bouncing around super quickly, uh, it was a really nice thing, actually. Um, and it was a nice thing to see with a person with a person that you trusted, a person who was also eager to learn. And I think you kind of when you go through it quickly, you don't have the time to kind of, you know, get the details of where you are. So I mean, the difference for me between Serbia, Bosnia, Albania, Macedonia, you know, you, the cities are different, the feel is different, but um, all in all, it was really uh, it was really kind of challenging to determine the differences. And I didn't really get the nuances until I moved here um, this year, earlier this year. So that's kind of my first experience with the Balkans. Uh, I love the music, I love the food, I love the people that I met, uh, the people that I met. Uh, the women down here are so, so beautiful. That's also a good added benefit that you guys should definitely know. And all of the Balkan friends that I've met from here that, uh, you know, in the other contexts of my life when I was studying in different places, they were always super warm, super friendly, super nice. So I was really interested in just kind of discovering where they were from. So 2017 was the first time I was down here and I always had this urge to come back. So uh, this last six months for me has been like the super digital nomad life. Um, I was in Vietnam. I then went to the United States. I'm sorry, I was in Vietnam. I went to Turkey, two months in Turkey. Then I flew to the United States for a month. I went to Costa Rica for a month. I went to uh, Mexico for a month. I then, uh, you know, and then directly from Mexico back to the US, went to Vegas, visit my dad. And then we went to Albania. So the, I'll just tell you the kind of preconceptions about Albania and kind of why I came and a little funny story about Albania. So when I was telling people in the United States where I was going, I would say, they'd say, where are you going? And I would say, Albania. And people would say to me, where is that? Is that in Europe? Is that in Africa? And it's, it's, it's fun to go to a place that many people just don't have conceptually on the map. So, you know, I explained it's in Europe. I explained it's near Greece. I explained the culture is kind of similar to Italians. Um, you know, it's, it's hard, right? I really, to be honest, I didn't really know. My first impression of Albania was coming across the border from Montenegro. Um, and the first thing I saw, we were taking a bus from Kotor to Skoder. Skoder is the most northern city in Albania. And uh, the first thing I saw was a burning house, uh, not in a bad way. And I'll tell you why I love Albania, but I, I, there was a house on fire and I thought that was very strange. 
and we got to Stoder and it was incredibly hot. It was uh, incredibly uh, empty because in the summer, when you go in the summer, it's uh, uh, the Balkans is crazy hot. It's like 40 degrees Celsius, like 115 degrees during the day. It's really, really, really hot. So we got there, no one was there. It was really strange. And then uh, our trip through Albania, through Kosovo, it's just like when you're getting a little touch, um, you can't really get into the depths of it as much. And so living here now and having one month to really uh, and one month to really experience Macedonia and to learn about nuances, the complexities, the history, the politics, and the things that you pretty much can't get as a backpacker. I think that was the best part coming to, to Albania. So take this flight, go from Portland, Oregon, flying to Tirana. I land, got the Airbnb for a month, and you know I was kind of going, Eyes wide open. I knew Tirana was, I had been there. Um, I didn't really have any significant memories from Tirana, but I knew that I enjoyed the city. I just didn't really have like a good, I don't know, like vibe is not the right answer, but like I didn't have like a good recall of what I did there or what was going on in Tirana that much. I learned a lot. That was the, that was the first thing. So um, I'd spent one month in Tirana. I spent one month in Skopje. I also had been to Skopje before, and I'm here now, and I was only here for like a couple couple days, one day. I had this whole drama with this girl, and uh, anyways, I didn't end up staying here that long. Uh, but coming here, this is an even more complex place, and it, it really was a place that surprised me for how complex and how confusing and how many controversies there are in Macedonia. So first of all, I wanna start this kind of section talking specifically about Albania, we'll get into uh, life in Macedonia for sure. That being said, I prepared for my videos uh, kind of, I kind of knew what I wanted to shoot. I wanted to do something that really focused on the uniqueness that Albania has and the kind of like putting it out there for American audiences to understand that this is part of Europe. This is a country that has a lot of connections to historical facets of, uh, of Greece and Italy, which are places that Americans kind of do understand, but that it is uniquely itself. So getting into the history of Albania a little bit, um, you can't really travel anywhere with Albania without understanding how much history and detail there is in that country. And that's the first thing that I realized, the first thing that I recognized spending time there is how deeply nationalistic and patriotic the Albanian people are and how proud of their land they are. So in my time in Albania, I went to Tirana, I went to a city called Leja, I've been to Shkoder, I've been to Berat, I've been to Dures on the coast. Uh, I didn't go to the south of Albania, but uh, I have been to many other, many other spots. The history of this country is based solely on the Illyrians to begin. It's cool because they're kind of like the original Indo-Europeans. Um, there's a lot of evidence that the Illyrian language kind of influenced all of the other Indo-European languages to follow that. And being that it was one of the only indigenous languages of Europe, there's this kind of preservation about it that the Albanians are super proud of. And that I think being someone who's interested in linguistics is very unique. Uh, Albanians speak amazing English because they have sounds in the Albanian language uh, that don't exist in a lot of other European languages, uh, such as and uh, R, like the hard R sound. So when Albanians speak English to you, if they actually are at a proficient level, it's really hard to tell that they're not 
um, Native American English speakers. It's a very unique thing. Uh, the only other language that is kind of native to the region that people kind of, not to the, not to the region, but to Europe itself, is um, Basque. And so it's kind of one of these outlier languages. People aren't sure where it came from or how these people developed it or how it didn't kind of get sucked into the greater, for example, like Roman Empire, Latinized and changed. Um, but I find it really, uh, really interesting. So the language of Albania, super important. Uh, and the national identity of Albania is all around this historical precedent that Albanians have never really had their own country or autonomy over their land before. And that's an important part of the narrative. So the kind of history is, is that these Illyrians were living 4,000 years ago in this land that is now kind of modern day Albania, parts of Macedonia, parts of Serbia, Montenegro, you know, just kind of the Balkan Peninsula, parts of Greece. There are these Illyrian people. The Illyrians uh, were then conquered by the uh, Roman Empire. The Roman Empire we know lasted a couple, you know, like a couple thousand years. Uh, it got split into the Eastern Roman Empire, which then became Byzantium. Um, these people were always kind of uh, they were different. They they were pagan and they had paganistic religion, even even kind of at the foundation of Christianity. And uh, a lot of the Albanians then converted because of being part of the the Byzantine Empire. That's kind of what happened. Um, the next interesting part in history is that as the Byzantine Empire crumbled, the Ottomans came in and this Ottoman, Ottomanization, we can say, of, of the Balkan Peninsula took place. Uh, this was like, you know, early 1400s. So the kind of identity of the Albanians stayed very Illyrian or very Albanian through the time it was in the Byzantine Empire. It never really did change. They never became Romanized. They never became Romans. They never identified as Romans. That wasn't what they did. So that's kind of cool how long they've been around. And then secondarily, under the Ottoman Empire, the Ottomans, for better or for worse, they conquered a lot of land all the way to Morocco, to Spain, to, I mean, like really like huge swaths of land and to the east to, to Iran. I mean, it's really incredible how far the Ottoman presence kind of goes. So uh, the interesting part is that under this Ottoman rule for better or for worse they were not super uh conversionary on people they kind of took places as vassal states and uh so albania kind of remained christianized but also slowly converted to islam through various various years various mechanisms and the ottomans also built cities in um, in albania they had hubs they had uh, various trading ports especially dures duresi on the coast super important for the ottoman empire and the interesting part about that is you can see all of this history kind of stacked upon itself in modern day Albania. You can see that this Islamic influence, but really Ottoman influence, which is very, very different than Islamic influence from the, the Arab countries. So the style, the food, the culture, the way that they interact with Islam is different. And also the Eastern kind of Orthodox thing that they got from the Byzantine Empire from being close to Greece, this kind of cultural kind of connection. Uh, it evolved in a really unique way. So I think the religion of Albania is super unique, but the coolest part about it is these people just aren't even that religious. So you can't talk about modern Albania without talking about communism, about what happened after the fall of the, of the uh, Ottoman Empire and how the communism that ended uh, basically at the end of the, you know, the Eastern Bloc kind of states, the end of the 80s, early 90s, um, really shapes Albania today. So the story of Albania goes that the Ottoman Empire's 
the Ottoman Empire fell. Uh, Albania had this kind of, they call him a zog. It's like a king or something. Um, he was in control of Albania for like 10 years or something. They found this kind of family and they made him the king. So um, that wasn't really long lasted. And then with World War II and all the complex political situations going on, um, the rise of communism, the rise of kind of like pseudo-fascism kind of came out. The communist Albania party kind of, for better, you know, like fought against the Nazis. They, it was the whole thing. So people were kind of excited about the communism. And then you get this uh, kind of like crazy period in Albania um, that you find all over the Eastern Bloc. But why Albania specifically is so different uh, than the rest of the countries in the region, besides Greece, is that it wasn't part of Yugoslavia. So Yugoslavia, this kind of union of the Southern Slavs, which includes Macedonia, took a very different political history to the modern day Albanian state. So that's why it's kind of like, they're kind of like grew up together. They're kind of like brothers, but they kind of hate each other. And I think that kind of goes into kind of current politics today. Super interesting. So the, uh, okay, so the communism period in Albania, you can't talk about any part of Albania without Ottoman period, Byzantine period, communism period. So the communism period in Albania was pretty crazy. They went, uh, you can call it North Korea style. They, uh, they locked down the country. It was really hard to travel. Um, they did a lot of like industrial manufacturing changes. Um, the country was led by a man named Enver Hoxha, which people kind of, I mean, there, there's a block of Albanians that still like this guy, but the majority of Albanians really dislike him for what he did to the country. Um, but long story short, uh, they had a pretty significant communist period. And as the kind of, uh, seventies and eighties were rolling around and Verhoja went kind of, um, kind of paranoid, um, but very similar to what was happening with the rest of Eastern Europe and, and the Eastern Bloc, the iron curtain, especially with aggression from the West or aggression from the East towards the West. You know, it's, there's many different ways to look at this story. And, Again, this is just more of my opinion and how I see it today. I'm not, not a historian. This is just a, how I've talked to about many different people. And I don't want to get too bogged down in the details. I want to talk to you more about my own personal history here, but we'll get to it. So um, the main point is that the modern state of Albania today, it was kind of built on this communist kind of weird society that was created. It was very like they were, they were in everything. They were watching all the people. They wouldn't let them travel. They were very like, uh, they were very like, uh, like 1984 kind of stuff. Um, and they built more bunkers in Albania, like bunkers, like, uh, you know, along the coast, like preparing for war. They built underground massive bunkers. And this is the same thing that Yugoslavia did as well. Um, it's not like this is a, just an Albania thing. And essentially they were really prepared for war. And the thing is, as the years went on and as Enver Hoxha got more paranoid and more paranoid that they were going to get invaded by the Greeks or the Yugoslavs or the Italians or the Americans, uh, they got more and more arms and more and more arms and more and more arms. And uh, it didn't necessarily bankrupt the people, but they were investing a lot of the production of the country into the maintenance of the basically defensive war that they were expecting. Uh, this never happened. Uh, thank God for the Albanians and thank God for... Uh, the fact that Albania didn't really experience a really, really tough time because of that. Um, but there are some interesting lingering things that communism had on Albania that I did notice. The first was that um, being that they are in this connected society with the Ottomans, with the near the Greeks who are very quite religious and near the, you know, the rest of the Balkans, the religion is really important in this part of Europe. It's, not, it's much less secular than Western Europe. 
That being said, the Albanians are incredibly secular. Um, in one of my videos, I mistakenly said that Albania is a Muslim country. Albania is a Muslim majority country, but the majority of the people are very, very secular. I would say that the majority of Albanians who are Muslim practice very similar to how Christians in the United States practice or Christians in Denmark practice where they don't really practice. Uh, it, religion is not really a thing. And it was kind of interesting to see how every city had a center, central square with a mosque, with a church, uh, with a Catholic church and an Orthodox church, but neither, I mean, even though th these were present, people themselves didn't seem very religious. You're, you typically, especially with Islamic countries, what you find in Uzbekistan and Turkey and Saudi Arabia and Egypt, uh, a lot of the people who are religious dress religiously, but in this case, uh, no one particularly did. And it's interesting when you hear the call to prayer five times a day, but that's not necessarily a part of the culture. Um, so that was the most striking thing for me is that is how all of this different historical context shapes modern Albania. Um, unfortunately, the, the modern Albania today uh, kind of has some issues. Um, you don't really feel it living there as a foreigner, obviously, but you can tell that there's definitely some problems with the, with the state. Um, it is one of the poorest countries in Europe. Um, it is uh, one of the most dysfunctional countries. You probably find it doesn't have a big rail system. The public transportation is a bit shoddy. I noticed a lot of the buses um, were either donated or bought from Germany and France. It's interesting because you could find the Berlin, um, like literally the Berlin buses, like the bus system. They 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 had them in Tirana, but it was funny because they didn't they didn't take off the um, they didn't take off the like the the branding and marketing. So that you they had the same like you know here's the app for Berlin. It was like very funny. And the biggest issue in modern day Albania is corruption. Um, it seems that everybody's just aware that it exists. This is not an Albanian issue. This is a Yugoslavian issue. This is a Bulgarian issue. This is a Moldovan, Romanian. Uh, people in the Balkans are just uh, not good at running their countries uh, without corruption, unfortunately. Uh, the people are super nice. I love the people of Albania. Um, everybody knows it's a problem and it just seems like there's not much anyone can do about it. And it seems like the resolve is that uh, people just want to move abroad. Albanians speak fantastic English. And for a lot of the younger Albanians that I know, um, that I've met abroad or that I've met in Albania, a lot of them had the goal to move abroad, to go to Western Europe, to go to the United States, to go to Canada. Um, and that kind of seemed like the only option because um, while Tirana seemed to be progressing, they were unfortunately, you know, the city is still quite poor. There's still not very many jobs for young people. The tech sector is growing, but that just is easier for younger people to move abroad because people can work remotely. And um, you can see in a lot of Eastern European countries that the cities are, there's basically, they call it the gap generation. You have the cities have older people and younger people. And they, you're missing this 20 to 35, 20 to 40 year old people because they've all gone abroad for work. So um, the preconceptions that I think an American has typically when we think of Albania is none of this, which is striking. Uh, I know the first time I heard about Albania, I believe, I think it was in Taken, Taken, where the Albanian mafia captures Liam Neeson's daughter. I don't know if that's good or bad. Um, Albania is also kind of, this is an issue with Russia too. Russia is always the bad guy in every United States movie. Um, if there's any sort of bad guy with a gun, a kidnapper, some sort of 
mafia person. You have like, it's always Eastern Europeans, but especially Albanians, Yugoslavians, and Russians. So I think this does a lot of damage to the um, identity of certain cultures. And it's something that bothers me about Western media is that we're so centric. We're so like US centric and especially Western European centric that when we look at people that are actually, they would be considered like European, they'd be considered white. Um, it's totally like a different lens. And especially when you add the fact that they're maybe Islamic instead of Christian, they become somehow the enemy. And that's a problem for me. And I really don't, I really don't know how to kind of reconcile that. And this is why I like to travel to certain countries and test my preconceptions. Um, it's really, it's really good to get out of your box and to meet people who are, who you think are different to you, but they're actually not. They're actually very, very similar. And maybe they eat different food. Maybe they do different things. Um, but generally nice people love their family, love making food, love spending time in parks. Tehran is an amazing city because of the cafe culture. It's just wonderful. Um, everyone sits very like Italian. Um, you know, people sit, people drink uh, cappuccinos or espressos and talk all day. And it's, it's lovely. I kind of say Tirana is like, uh, if, uh, Eastern Europe and Italy had a baby and then the Ottoman empire was like their uncle, you know, so you have like all these influences, but it is, um, unabashedly Albanian, which is a really unique thing. So I will say out of between Albania and Macedonia, I, Albania, I, I, I love, love, love. Um, it's, I love Tirana. I plan on going there again. It's an absolutely striking city. Um, it has a great vibe. Uh, the people are so nice. The food is so good. Um, and I love cities where you can walk around and you can see people grilling meat outside. They have this culture called Zgada. Zgada is uh, a grill. It comes from the Turkish word Izgada. Uh, if you're talking to Albanians, they might say that's an Albanian word that the Turks stole and then changed it. That's also a funny thing when talking to people from the Balkans. Um, and so zgadas, you get uh, your options of different meats, different, uh, different salads, and uh, everything's served really quickly. Uh, it's really cheap, $1 beers. It's like just it's like the best part. It's awesome. So that being said, um, Albania is great. I'm a big Albania fan. And now I want to move on to Macedonia because that's where I've been for the last month. Um, and I think this has been the hardest country I've ever had to try and document and also to reconcile and to understand. And as an American, as an outsider, as a person not from the Balkans, I think sometimes it's better um, than if you're from here because I don't have any preconceptions towards any people here. I don't have any hate towards any people. I don't have any Albanian family. I don't have any Macedonian family. I don't have any Bulgarian family. And so Macedonia is incredibly complicated. Um, I've gotten so much negative stuff from posting things here, um, from everyone in the region. So I'm going to break it down for you. Cause it's, it's something that's caused me a little bit of trouble to kind of understand and also trouble to kind of document properly because I, I want to do a good job representing the people and the culture. And I find it really hard when everyone's confused about what this place is. So that being said, Macedonia. So I took the bus from Tirana to Skopje. Skopje is nine hours away from Tirana. Macedonia sits above Greece, it borders Bulgaria. It was the southern part of the Yugoslavian state 
So from the 1925 to kind of when the Yugoslavian war happened, I don't want to get into that. That'll be for a different day. But uh, they broke off from Yugoslavia, created the, the state of Macedonia, or now called North Macedonia. Um, they had a controversial name change two years ago, which I'll get into as well. And um, they have Albania to the west. So the problem with Albania, and why I'm saying Albania now, is that Albania, they have borders, but Albania also doesn't really have borders. There's this idea called the autocrasis, I think, autocras. I can look at the name, I'll put it down low. And this is the, the idea of the Greater Albanian Union. So Albania, kind of, they got this line drawn in some sort of treaty. And that line left out a bunch of Albanians who live in Montenegro, who live in Kosovo, which is almost 80%, 90% Albanian. Um, when I went to Kosovo, I was shocked how Albanian it was because I had the, I was under the impression that they would be Serbians because uh, in the United States, you know, when we learn about the context of Serbia and Kosovo and the problems that they have there, um, you know, with the recognition, with the war, with uh, all of the things, with the NATO influence, I was really thinking like maybe these were just kind of like Montenegrins who are much more close to Serbians. They speak a similar language to Serbia. They share a lot more culture. Um, but when I went to Kosovo, I was like, whoa, this is not Serbia, at least culturally. And I'm not, I'm not, you know, don't, don't hold my head to the fire. It was just an interesting thing. Um, it was very similar to, um, to Albania. And it's interesting too, because a lot of people in Kosovo also speak Turkish as a sort of connection to the old Ottoman times. So that also leaves uh, Macedonia, which has a large number of Albanians. The uh, Albanian population here in, in some studies, I mean, it's really hard. The Macedonians claim it's not true, but uh, some say there's 25 to 30% of the population of modern day Macedonia is Albanian. Albanian is a, not an official language, but a co-official language, meaning that it's, it's not technically used in documents, but um, Macedonian is the official language. But that being said, um, you can find a lot of Albanian speakers. You, the Albanian is the secondary kind of language of the country. Um, you can find it on signs and uh, you find it in a lot of places. And so this kind of leads to the, uh, the first paradox of Macedonia is what is Macedonia? So it's, it's really, really, really complicated. And I'm not trying to step on anybody's feet and I'm not trying to use my own opinions, but living here, having been in Skopje for almost a month, having met Macedonians and Albanians who, uh, hold, the, who the, hold the Macedonian passport, I feel like everyone here is a bit confused on what it is as well. So looking at it from the Macedonian side, Macedonians are Southern Slavs. So they speak as a language that is very similar to Bulgarian, they, uh, they can understand Bulgarian quite or read it, um, but Bulgarians can't understand them. It's kind of like a Portuguese-Spanish situation. And living here, I can tell that it's Slavic for sure. They write in Cyrillic. Um, the food, I guess, is very similar to the Balkan food that you find in the region, so that's not particularly different. Um, but there's, there's definitely a Slavic vibe here for sure. That being said, there's also lots of Albanians here, and there's also an Albanian vibe. And so when I'm walking around certain cities, it's kind of, it is easy to tell where the Albanian stops and the Macedonian starts, but it's hard to tell what Macedonia as a country really is. How I can explain that is the cities here are super segregated. Um, this is, I can explain it about Skopje because it's interesting. There was a massive earthquake here in 1963 
in this region of Macedonia, you had lots of different mixtures of Balkan people all living together. You had some Reeds here, you had South Slavs, you had Bulgarians, you had um, Albanians. They were all living in this region that we now call North Macedonia. And out of that leaves a very diverse melange, if you will, of Albanian, South Slav, Greek, Bulgarians um, that kind of turn into the identity of Macedonia, which is super cool. The problem is here that everybody is because of kind of the fall of the Ottoman Empire, because of certain political issues, because of uh, state lines and everything. Um, there's a nationalism issue here. Um, and what you see kind of, uh, I kind of like to, to phrase this as like in Germany, there were lots of different, and in Italy, there were lots of different kind of city states and, and uh, countries that unified and kind of put their differences behind them and said, hey, like, we're all like German speaking. We're all pretty similar. We have different accents. Like we've had wars against each other, but like we should just let bygones be bygones and we should just try and forge a bigger country. That was the idea of Yugoslavia. But I think what Germany had that was beneficial with what Yugoslavia didn't have is that Germany was made up of Christian kingdoms. Okay, maybe they were Protestant, maybe they were Catholic, maybe they were um, Anglican, whatever it may be. But Yugoslavia was built out of um, Islam, Islam, Muslims, like Bosniaks, and then the Albanians uh, who are living in Kosovo, and then they were uh, Orthodox, and they were Catholic. And so that kind of led to this kind of hard unity that just never really happened, and this kind of nationalism that never really went away. And led to these very segregated societies like that you find today in modern day Bosnia, where Bosnia and Herzegovina, I mean, it's like really, really segregated between where the Muslims live and where the Serbian East Orthodox people live. And um, here in Macedonia, where Skopje, it's so weird. You have like the city center and uh, there's a river called the Vardar. And in the southern part of the Vardar River, you have all the Macedonians. That's where they live. And it's very Slavic. You don't hear, you don't really hear Albanian. It's like an interesting precedent. But after this certain line, the city just goes Albanian. And then all of a sudden, all the signs are in Albanian. People aren't really speaking Macedonian. There's way more mosques. The, the city feels so different. Like it's, it, I've never been in a city that feels like two different cities in the same city within, within one kilometer. It's very strange. And then here in um, Macedonia too, they have a very large gypsy Roma community. Um, and they actually have the biggest self-governed gypsy community in the world here in, um, in, a, in a region in the northern part of Skopje. So you have all these different mixtures of people that are pretty nationalistic and uh, don't agree on anything. And that's what makes documenting Macedonia so, so, so hard. So, I mean, it could be anything. It could be the name of the country. No one can agree on it. If you say it in the Albanian name, you are called a bigot. If you say it in the Macedonian way, you've pissed off the Greeks. If you say something about the Bulgarians, then you've pissed off the Macedonians. If it's, it's a mess. No one's happy. You can't win here. And I have to say, like, making YouTube videos here has been so hard. Because I really do try to do my research, and I really do, I really do love everybody. I have no, I have no uh, hate towards anybody, and I find all cultures beautiful. But... Here, people, I mean, in the comments are just so brutal, man. So, so brutal, which is tough. 
Um, and it helps me learn, but it also helps me realize how fractured and kind of broken this region is um, with regards to national identity and people just hating each other. Like there's really deep hate amongst the people here. And not everybody. I've met, uh, you know, I, I have some friends here. Some are Albanian, some are Macedonian. We all play basketball together. Um, no issues. But uh, there's a huge issue um, with some people here. And it's been just really hard kind of getting by trying to make these videos because um, I make videos about food. And I love talking about food. And the, the food here is so unique. And what I can say is that um, Balkan food is amazing. You have beautiful grilled meats. You have dishes with roasted red peppers and eggplants and there's Ottoman influence, which is delightful, but with a mixture of Eastern Orthodox. So you can have like pork dishes that you wouldn't find in Turkey or in other like highly Islamic places. Um, you have things with yogurt. I mean, the food here is so good. It's kind of that Mediterranean. It's awesome. You know, little Greek influence. It's, it's awesome. What I can say is that Balkan cuisine is a cuisine, Albanian, Macedonian, Serbian, is not, I mean, they're cuisines. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say they're not, but they're so similar and they all eat the same stuff. And so for me, it's so frustrating when people are saying, no, that's Albanian food. No, that's Macedonian food. No, that's a Bulgarian dish. It's like, guys, everybody, everybody's eating the same stuff. Everybody's doing the same things. Everybody's, all, besides the language and maybe the religion, you guys are all like living very similarly. And it's, it's the most complex region because it's like, I just want to be like, you guys be friends because it's like, you're so, your cultures are so similar and it's so nice being here because these places are so special and so unique, but uh, they just can't see it. And it's fine. I understand this because um, I've been in many other regions in the world where people who are the most alike hate each other the most. And so that goes with Thailand and Laos that goes with the Caucasus region. Georgians, Azerbaijanis, uh, Armenians, Eastern Turks, Russians. Um, it's, it's not something that is uncommon. It's just something that's highly frustrating as a traveler and someone who's trying to showcase what's going on in these countries. Um, and also appreciate being here and really feel comfortable within the culture. I feel like Albania was just easier to document than Macedonia because there's less controversy over what Albania is um, because the majority of Albania is occupied by Albanians, but it's really hard to document what Macedonia is because no one can agree on what it is. The Greeks don't even agree that Macedonia has the right name and they made them change the name in order for Macedonia to assume a bid to be in the EU because the Greeks claim that Macedonia is one large kind of area that was the former, you know, um, empire of Macedon or Macedonia. And there's a region in Greece called Macedonia. So they said, you can't have this name. Um, the Macedonians say, that's our name. We're the, we're the Macedonians. We're from here. And I, that's a fair claim. And the Greeks didn't like it. And so now they're the Republic of Northern Macedonia. And so even the whole name thing, it's like, and I'm living in a place that's kind of like, I mean, it just changed its name. How many countries change their names because of political discourse or because of political issues with neighbors? It's so absurd. And the one word I can say about everything in the Balkans um, is just petty. Like, these are beautiful countries with beautiful people and beautiful arts, beautiful history. And God, everyone's so petty about everything here. Um, and it kind of, it doesn't, it doesn't ruin the experience. It's just like, 
if they weren't so petty, they could build something so, so beautiful. And I think that's my one thing being an American. Uh, Americans are just super petty about stuff. And if, uh, if we weren't so petty, I think things would just be sometimes better, sometimes better in general. So Macedonia is controversial. Controversial. It's hard to work with. Um, but I'm glad I came. Skopje is so funny. Um, what they've done with the statues here. Um, if you guys haven't seen the statue situation in Skopje, in 2014, Skopje, uh, the government of Macedonia decided to put up a whole bunch of controversial statues of Alexander the Great, named the airport Alexander the Great Airport, Philip of Macedon, who was not necessarily Slavic, um, Tsar Samuel, who was a Bulgarian Tsar, but I mean, he was kind of, he, he actually did rule in the state of Macedonia. I learned at Lake Ohrid, which is a beautiful lake um, that shares the border with Albania. Um, so they, they put up all these statues. They spent millions and millions and millions of euros on these ridiculous statues. And uh, they're cool, but it's like, uh, apparently they embezzled a bunch of money. Uh, it was a whole bunch of, <laughs> a whole bunch of issues. With the with the way that the statues were uh, were funded, a lot of a lot of pockets got stuffed, and they ended up with this really kitsch city center with like a whole bunch of different statues of different varieties, like way too many. Like I'm talking like hundreds in one city center. It's absurd and it looks ridiculous. Um, but it's actually, to be fair, it's a very very pretty. Um, it's a very pretty, very pretty city. And what's cool about learning about this region too is that all of each country has their kind of like like personage who fought against the Ottomans and they're super proud of. And what's cool is there's this guy named Skanderbeg who I made an entire video about it. You guys should go check it out on my channel for sure. And he's kind of like the protector of the West against the Ottoman scourge. Um, and they have a huge Skanderbeg square because there's lots of Albanians that live in Skopje as well. Um, and here there's also a guy named Karposh who was, uh, I believe he was also fighting against the Ottomans. And there's a famous bridge here called the Stone Bridge. And there's a whole region of the town called Karposh. Um, and it's named after this guy who stood up to the Ottomans and tried to liberate the Macedonians. He got his head chopped off. So there's just so much crazy history, so many interesting figures. Lots of people have been through here. Uh, it's so varied and so mixed. And uh, it's been a blast. It's been a blast. I really have enjoyed my time here. Um, is it my favorite part of Europe? Maybe. Maybe it is. I think if you it's it's the least boring part of Europe because you get this new this cool I always it's it, the way that I describe it it's like Asia and Europe all in the same thing because it's they've got the chaos of Asia crazy drivers uh, weird systems confusing language all that stuff but then it's also got beautiful European buildings and museums it's calm the weather's pretty nice um, super unique super unique it's uh, you guys gotta come to Macedonia you gotta come to um, got to come to Albania and I've actually been to every country in the Balkans except Greek except Greece. Sorry, Greeks. I just, I wanted to go, but your borders are closed. So, uh, all of the countries, whether it's Romania, Bulgaria, Serbia, Bosnia, I mean, these countries are awesome. They're pretty cheap, pretty comfortable, pretty safe, really cool histories, heartbreaking histories. Um, you can learn so much about Europeans and, um, also just learning about, um, kind of also the European American story in the United States also super important because it's just, uh, it's just tough. I mean, like, uh, it's interesting because, you know, in the United States, there's this kind of conception that all white people are the same. And it's like, it's so disingenuous in my opinion, because Europe is so varied and these people have traveled thousands of miles to live in the United States. And 
my family is Eastern European and Italian and from the United Kingdom and just calling us white. It just, it just devalues all these amazing stories and amazing cultures that we bring with us to the United States, which is so unique. And the best part of being American is, you know, interacting with people from all over the place. Um, and yeah, coming here, it's like, this is not the Netherlands. <laughs> it's messy. It's corrupt. It's wild. It's crowded. It's, it's weird, um, but it's really nice. And so uh, I'll just say, I'll kind of wrap this up in the fact that like my favorite part about the Balkans, especially where I've been for the last two months is the people. Everyone here is so nice and so friendly and so open and they'll always help you. Um, if you're lost, then old man will take your hand and try to find, try to help you figure out what's going on. Or someone will, and the English is amazing here too. Everyone's super helpful, super nice, super friendly. All of the people that I've hung out with, um, that I've been introduced to, that friends have set me up with, have just been great people. Open, friendly, cool, chill, awesome. The least favorite part would just be, um, I don't know, having to tiptoe around certain things. Um, the segregation of the society here, the kind of compartmentalization of the difficulties here and trying to not disrespect anyone uh, by accidentally saying Shiptare here, which is the name for Albania. I was with my buddy and I kept, <laughs> kept saying Shkup, which is how the Albanians say uh, Skopje. And, you know, that offends 60% of Macedonians. And I don't mean to offend anybody um, or to call Skopje Skopje. And you've offended some Albanians who live in Albania and say, they say it's Shkup. And you're like, I, there's no winning with you guys. There's no winning. So that's been the most challenging part. Um, and it's been rewarding making videos here because uh, I had got really good reception in, um, in Albania. A lot of my videos got a lot of love, which was nice. Um, in Macedonia, not so much, but I think that's kind of the, uh, kind of goes with the controversy. There's no winning here and it is what it is. Um, so I think we need to wrap this up. We're running on 45 minutes now. I've got my notes here. Um, so I think, I think you guys know why I'm here. My next station, my next spot is Kyrgyzstan. Um, the borders here are closing. The COVID situation here is, I don't know who's making these policies, but they just closed everything again. So they've got curfews. So I'm getting out of here, getting out of Dodge, heading to Kyrgyzstan, the land of the Kyrgyz. Very excited. Very, very excited. Um, I've always wanted to travel to the stands. I have no preconceptions of it. I mean, I've seen videos. I've seen, I, I know a lot about it, but I, I don't know what it's going to be like. Um, I was in Russia a couple years back and uh, it was my first interaction with people from the stand countries. And uh, I also had a student for my tutoring. Uh, I, I tutor online and uh, the um, one of my students was, was from, was Kyrgyz. And she told me a little bit about her culture and um, it's just, one of those countries that no one knows about. And so I'm really looking forward to making videos, to traveling, to getting out there, to seeing something new. And I think it's, you know, every, you know, don't go to France. I love France. Don't go to Spain, go to Kyrgyzstan, like get out of your bubble a little bit. I think like this is, travel is much more rewarding when you go to places that are, you know, just like, just like batshit crazy. I'll just, I'll say it like that. They're just way out of the ordinary. And so, 
Kyrgyzstan, we're going to do food, we're going to do culture, we're going to talk about post-Soviet stuff, we're going to get into the history, we're going to talk about the Mongols, we got lots of good stuff, very excited about it. So um, that is the podcast for today, guys. Thank you so much for watching. If you sticked around for the stuck around for the whole thing, I uh, hope I didn't ramble too much. I'm not trying to just ramble, but uh, my goal was to kind of expose you to the controversies, the complexities, and the issues here in the Balkans to tell you a little bit about what my experience was, uh, and of course to tell you that these countries are amazing and that you should come, and it's uh, it's it's awesome. You're definitely not going to regret coming. I even took my mom to Bulgaria and Romania. Um, and she loved it. She had a blast. So that being said, guys, um, if you've been, if you're gone this far, make sure to, of course, like, and subscribe, hit the notification bell. That's always helpful. Um, I'm trying to try to do these podcasts once a week, uh, maybe Saturday nights, maybe Friday nights around this time. So if you like this kind of content, let me know in the comments below, uh, uh, hit comments from this video. I will answer in the next video at the start during the comment Q&A section. So if you have questions about Tales from the Road, about my story, about how to travel during COVID, about how to be a digital nomad, um, I'd love to spend 10 minutes of the section kind of debating, discussing these things, um, and let you guys know what, what I'm doing, how I can help, and all that good stuff. So uh, all right, guys. Best of luck. Fala Menderet. Fala. Thank you guys for watching, and I am out from the Balkans.